And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea, conversationalists across the fruited plain, the ladies who lunch, captains courageous, and princes of the universe, it's Open Line Friday. And I didn't post. That's annoying when I don't get that right. That's okay, though. It is a it is a uh, it is a radio term posting, which basically says, "All right, I've got I've got 15 seconds before the lyrics start." This is a radio term, and um, posting means you finish your little banter before the lyrics start. And I didn't quite I didn't quite hit it today to to get in before the trumpets go, but that's okay. That's okay. Happy to be here, folks. My name is Jason Hunt. I'm the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me, where we bring you the multiverse. I missed my mark. Yes, I did. Give a shout out to everybody who is listening to this program as a podcast. It is available as a podcast, but it's also available as live video. Uh, All the different podcast platforms where you can find this show. And it is advisable to uh, check out the video every now and again because sometimes we put stuff up, pictures and stuff that don't translate well to radio. Uh, The live chat is open on uh, YouTube and Odyssey and Facebook, so you can leave your comment. Join us on social media. Join us on the Discord. And our email address, live from the bunker at sci-fi for me. It is Open Line Friday, which means you're going to call in and you're going to say what you think and you're going to tell us and uh, we're going to go from there. So, so yeah, let's see who all is here. Cam's here. (laughs) Keely's here. MS is here. Death Angel Shadow's here. Good to have all of you with us. And I'm told... Chicken City has, what did you say, 50? Chicken City has 50, 50 viewers now. So <coughs> we have to beat 50. So go share the link. Go tell people about us. Go say, hey, go watch this show. Donnie Pearson in the chat. Good to see you as well. Let's see here. Um, let me pop this up here. Uh, hello, Jason. I hope everyone is well. Yes, I did update my profile pic in celebration of the 30th anniversary of the Power Rangers. That's that's uh, that's an interesting thing to see that coming. Uh, and and Amy Jo Johnson has apparently confirmed she's not in it. Uh, and I, from what I've read, she wanted to be more behind the camera uh, on on some projects, but she's got some other stuff in the works, so she's not in the 30th anniversary as a Pink Ranger, but that is uh, that is interesting to see all of that in development. Yes, Netflix, for those of you who are not, uh, who are not into the Power Rangers, Netflix is developing a reunion show with the original Power Rangers, David Yost as the Blue Ranger and uh, that that group. 
it's uh, I think it's what's it called? I can't remember what it's called. But yeah, we've got a a 30th anniversary Power Rangers show in development. So we'll see how that goes. <coughs> so anyway, all right. So um, let me do a couple of things here, just briefly, and then we're going to open up the open up the phone lines. Eight eight six seven five three zero nine is the number, I think. Ask for Jenny. Reed Hastings has stepped down as CEO, co-CEO of Netflix. Which apparently has been part of the plan. This is Variety here. Reed Hastings, co-founder, co-CEO of Netflix, has stepped down as chief executive officer. He remains an employee of the company, serving as executive chairman of the board. (coughs) Ted Sarandos, co-CEO and formerly chief content officer, and Greg Peters, previously chief product officer and chief operating officer, will now serve jointly as co-CEOs. In addition, Netflix named Bella Beharia, formerly head of global TV, to the position of chief content officer, while Scott Stuber, head of global films, has the new title of chairman of Netflix Film. We're going to circle back to that. So the this comes <coughs> as Netflix is saying we've got 7.7 million new subscribers in the fourth quarter 2022 uh more than the forecast they are top of the food chain right now in terms of the streaming services they're they're doing better than anybody else um this is this is a step this is a step. Netflix, I'm, I'm making a prediction here. Netflix is making a change. Because we've talked about a lot of the different things that have been going on with all of the streaming services not quite panning out the way everybody expected it to in terms of making money. So, they've got to make adjustments. And the other streaming services, Peacock, Paramount Plus, Disney Plus, all of these, uh, all these channels, they have a movie studio attached to them. Netflix does not. <clears throat> and we know Netflix has aspirations of being a movie studio, and they want to, they want to win Oscars, and they want to do all those things. And it looks like they're getting ready to do just that. Uh, this is from uh, NewJersey.com. This was from December of last year, but Netflix is making moves here, folks. Netflix unveils huge $903 million plan for New Jersey production studios at ex-military base. Uh, Netflix unveiled plans for an investment of $903 million into a production facility at the former Fort Monmouth in New Jersey. It would serve as a central point for streaming entertainment giants East Coast operations. The Fort Monmouth Economic Revitalization Authority voted to authorize Netflix's plan when it met at 5 p.m. Wednesday, according to a joint announcement afterwards from Netflix and Governor Phil Murphy. Though the deal will not be finalized until the due diligence period and local approvals process concludes, a supportive tweet from Murphy following the vote made it sound like a virtual certainty. Netflix is coming to town. So you've got this facility, 292 acres, 
<coughs> and a former U.S. Army base closed in 2011. So Netflix is planning to develop 12 sound stages totaling nearly 500,000 square feet on the site, which is adjacent to Route 35 in Eatontown and Oceanport, rendering show multi-story production stage buildings and offices tucked behind the familiar Fort Monmouth archways. So they're, they're making moves, folks. They are getting ready to build a studio. <clears throat> and what does that mean for Netflix? And is the timing of Reed Hastings stepping down, does that have anything to do with their plans moving forward for studios? It's just a question I'm asking. I don't have any theories. I don't have any 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 insights, any inside information or anything like that. I mean, if if people want to send me stuff from the inside, I am more than willing to take a look. But yeah, that's uh that's interesting timing there. <coughs> also, we got this news today. Alphabet is going to lay off 12 thousand employees nothing to see here folks and we've got comiXology which is now a division of amazon laying off uh what some people are estimating to be 50 to 70 percent of the staff but comics are doing fine comics are doing fine Right? Anyway. All right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Let's see what people are saying. In the chat. Uh, Keely says, New Jersey is where Philadelphians and New Yorkers go to dump their garbage. Uh, one of three places to bury a body. And the other two are Long Island and upstate New York. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Comics are doing so great. Comics are booming, right? Let's let's ask let's ask Heidi McDonald about that. Cuz she's she's really wanting, you know, she took to Twitter the other day saying, you know, we really need to have sales figures again. <laughs> no you don't. Not if you really want not okay. It depends on what sales figures you're looking at. And it depends on how you want to interpret it. Because if you include manga, then sure, sales are good, decent. But if you're just talking about Western comics, and if you're not counting the crowdfunded indie scene, comics are not doing very good at all. When you've got comic book shops setting up GoFundMes and, and crowdfunding just to stay in business, just to keep the doors open and the lights on, the comics industry is not in good shape. And part of that comes from this this conditioning to get all of this stuff digitally. Get on your Kindle, Comicsology, whatever you know. Download it, read it on your read it on your device. No, buy the book. Whether it's a graphic novel collecting various different issues, or if you go out and you buy the floppies, go buy the physical media. They can't delete that. From your library. They can't control. 
what you have in your hands if you have the physical books. If you have the DVDs or the Blu-rays or the hardback novel or the paperback novel, buy the physical media. Keep it in your library. <clears throat> now, I, I get the convenience of the digital stuff, and that's fine. If you've got stuff that's just going to be a one-off, you're going to read it and go and do away with it, and it's not going to be something you keep. Okay, fine. <clears throat> but... But we are entering an age, and we're seeing this with the D&D OGL 1.2, where they're setting up the digital social credit score, where if we don't like something that you do, if we don't like your behavior, if we don't like what you post, then we can... Do something about it. Right? By the way, uh, did you see did you, <laughs> video clip that's circulating? Klaus Schwab over at the World Economic Forum wants to put chips in our heads. See that? I mean, talk about going digital. Let's just download it into our brains, right? Because he, he wants us all to have all to have microchips in our heads. <sighs> All right. Well, see, what about it's got a good point. You know, this is this is what happens when uh people don't stand up and say, you know, and push back on this stuff. You know, you don't have a you don't take a stand against stuff. Get uh Get what you deserve, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Sci-Fi Snob in the chat says, I love chips. Sour cream is my favorite flavor. <laughs> I like chips. I like sour cream chips. I, I go back and forth between Lay's and Ruffles. They they both have good sour cream and onion flavors. And 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 taco flavored Doritos. Those are my those are my go-to chips. Yeah, well, I don't eat Pringles as much. But uh, I, I'll eat, I'll eat, yeah, Pring, well, Pringles does have a sour cream and onion flavor. It's not bad. I don't, I don't better. get better. It's better than what? It's better than. It's better than. It's better than what? It's better <laughs> than the other ones. You think so? I do, because you've got the one side that has all the flavor, so you put that side down on the tongue when you bite. Well, the flavor is on both sides. Yes, but there's always one side that has more flavor than the other. Uh-huh. And it fits perfectly over the entire tongue. Uh-huh. Keely says, uh, I like barbecue flavor potato chips from Lay's. Lay's got some, Lay's got some pretty good stuff. Um, what about is partial to salt and vinegar? Keely says, nacho Doritos. Um... Snobs says Pringles are rich people chips. <laughs> That's when you go get the Lay's <coughs> ones that are like Pringles. Because those are cheaper. Usually you can get like a full tub for a dollar. For Ruffles, sour cream and cheddar. I don't know about sour cream and cheddar. 
Mrs. Boss is young. <laughs> okay, do we really want to get on Mr. Boss's lack of taste in food? I don't have a lack of taste. Okay, in you food. eat the exact same. I, I can go into any restaurant and order for you and know that I'm going to be completely fine. Right. Mr. Everything I'm is dry. I'm consistent. Mr. No type of condiments I'm unless consistent. it's his. Uh, his salad, which only has lettuce and Thousand Island, nothing else, because it gets moved to the side or given to me. I'm consistent, <clears throat> which means I'm dependable. You can no you ketchup. Can, you, there's no, no surprises when it comes. No to nothing. Me. That's right. Dry hot dogs. <laughs> hamburgers only have cheese and bacon <clears throat> on them. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, Mrs. Okay, now uh, let's see. Well, let me let me get where am I going here? There, there. MS says that's all men. Uh, his wife knows just to order a burger. Plain, yeah. meat and cheese only, like a little kid. Keely says at least I don't eat pineapple pizza. Looking at you, Gary. Gary, Gary over Nerdrotic. There is Look. nothing wrong with pineapple Ev- on the pizza. Throw Snob some jalapenos says, on there. Awesome. Yeah, Snob says, my wife says, it isn't salad if it only has lettuce. My salads don't have just lettuce. Yes, it has They'll only bacon bits. Bacon bits. Lettuce. You never put bacon bits on them. I do. Restaurants don't offer bacon yeah, they bits do. like that. Some, th- some do. Mm, you don't do it. His baked potato has butter and bacon sh- bits. I mean, that, and he does extra butter on there. That's respectable. Now, see, now you got me wondering what bacon chips would taste like. We've had something. We might have to. Like we that. might have to. We might have to make some bacon chips. Um, <clears throat> okay. He doesn't eat vegetables. No. Um, uh, <laughs> Cam says jerky is a food group, and yes, it is. And we have some in the box. Going to be pulled out after be, the we show. We will be taking it out of the box after the show. So, looking forward to that. So, all right, <coughs> all right. Here we go. Let's do this. Let's put in. Uh, all right, let's. Yep, hang on, hang on. Let me do that. Pin that. I found. Um, speaking of bacon, all right. Here's the here's the link, and I'm pretty sure that we'll get the usual usual suspects calling in. But if anybody wants to jump in and and join us on on this, you are more than welcome. All right. So, um, all right. So, <coughs> I found a a, a recipe. Uh, speaking of bacon, I found a recipe for pemmican using uh, bacon fat instead of beef tallow. So we might have to we might have to check in on that. And I still can't get a good, decent potato to grow in the garden. I'm working on that. So I don't know. Maybe maybe one of these times you can get them to grow on the counter. Well, they they'll they'll sprout on the counter, and that's as far as they go. I can't get them to do anything else. Maybe maybe at some point we'll do a We'll do a uh, apocalypse prep episode where everybody can call in with their hints and tips and tricks and processes. And here's here's what I do to get ready for the zombies to to hit. We'll have to get Culture Casino in on that too, right? <clears throat> we'll do that. A Fahrenheit nineteen eighty four edition. Because there's a lot of stuff going on. It's just, I mean, that would be a long show. All of the different things that are going on, I tell you, it's it is a is a is a crazy time. 
Uh, did you see, I haven't seen any kind of an update on this. Did you see Julian's actor Julian Sands has disappeared? Uh, he has been reported missing. He was he went hiking in the mountains out in California, and as of last Friday, was reported missing. And I haven't seen any kind of an update that they've found him yet. So uh, hopefully he's okay. Julian Sands, of course, has been in a number of different projects, but he was in uh, Stargate, <clears throat> SG one or yeah, SG one, part of the Ori story arc. In addition to do a lot of other things. But hopefully he's found safe and sound and okay. Uh, Jeremy Renner has gone home. So he's recuperating at home with family now. So there's that. <clears throat> so anyway, that's 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 where we are. Uh, and... Um, that we are keeping an eye on the D and D stuff, the Watsy stuff, because it continues to evolve. And I am, and I am watching the Crowder Daily Wire stuff. <coughs> I probably am not going to talk too much about it here because uh, it's it's kind of outside our wheelhouse. I mean, we're not really uh, we're not really into the into the political scheme of things as far as the kind of content we cover. So. As as conservative as I am as a media producer, our our channel here is not necessarily conservative media in the in the political sense. So, but I am keeping an eye on it because it is going to have some repercussions as far as uh, the the big tech, the big tech aspects of this. It's not it's it's not about the money, <clears throat> and it's not about who's doing what where. It's about the this notion of. Are we going to continue to kowtow and bend the knee and, and contort ourselves to appease big tech? Or are we going to stand up and say, enough, Susan, enough, Zuckerberg, enough, um, Who's who's it? What's it over at Alphabet? I mean, we we we've got to push back on this kind of stuff. You know, when when Google changes their algorithm, when when YouTube changes their algorithm, we need to say that's th this is not a good deal. Like like what we're doing, what people are doing with Watsi and D and D Beyond. You know, they're saying this is not a good deal. This is not a good arrangement. We don't like this. We're going elsewhere. Watch us on Odyssey. All right, we broadcast live to both channels. <clears throat> and yeah, Comics Division does does some stuff yelling at parked cars on Monday night. I'm over there on on occasion. Uh, you got the Thursday night throwdown talking pop culture stuff. I'm I'm sometimes over there too. <clears throat> there are channels out there that are talking about some of this stuff. Culture Casino does does a little bit. He's he's more on the pop culture side of things. But we need to we need to have a resolve amongst ourselves that basically says we are not going, especially if you're if you're conservative, we need to make sure that we're not fighting amongst ourselves in order to you know conform to big tech. And I get it to a certain extent you've got to you've got to follow the rules. But at the same time you need to agitate for those rules to, to change if they're onerous. You've got something to, to say. You need to be able to say it. 
and I get, you know, the the algorithm will change in six months, and it'll be something else we'll complain about. But anyway. MS has a good question there. When Watsy does something fans don't like, the fan base is small enough to affect it if we quit. Is that true for Disney or, or is that true for Marvel or Disney? I see that's the question is <coughs> at what point cuz cuz D&D Beyond you had all these user these all these subscribers cancel their subscription outright and say I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore and it affects the bottom line. And that's one of the arguments that people make with regard to like Disney Plus and 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 the Marvel stuff, where if you don't like what they're doing, don't go. Don't don't go to the movie. Don't buy a ticket. Don't subscribe to Disney Plus and 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 that kind of thing. The thing is, you have so many people out there. The normies, as we've taken to calling them, the people who are not aware of what's been happening, they're not paying attention to this stuff. They don't read Variety. They don't read Deadline. They don't read The Hollywood Reporter. They're not looking at all of these different things from Matt Baloney and, and Kamar Pasha and, and, and Nelly and Driva and, and, and uh, what's her name, Grace Randolph. Nobody, nobody's, nobody's watching this stuff. Nobody's, nobody's reading this stuff except the people who are paying attention. Because it's it's our job to cover this stuff and to comment on it and talk about it because that's what we do. But your your regular John Q public NPC crowd, they're not paying attention to any of this stuff. <clears throat> if it doesn't make to the to the main media news, ABC, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, CNN, Fox, then they don't know about it. You know, if Tucker Carlson doesn't talk about it, if Joe Rogan doesn't talk about it, if Joe Scarborough doesn't talk about it, then they don't know about it. And that's another reason why it's important for us to keep pushing and keep keep getting this, uh, getting our voices out there as alternative media, whether we're on YouTube or Odyssey or Rumble or or wherever, whatever the next one is. We need to be pushing as much as we can to get people coming to these alternate media sites. People like Nerdrotic and Geeks and Gamers and Joe Rogan and whatever whatever ends up, you know, whatever Crowder ends up doing. If that's your thing. I mean, if you like what Crowder is doing, you should be telling people about it. If you don't like what Crowder is doing, same thing. Say, hey, you know, it's not for me. <coughs> And yeah, that's that's a good point. Also, MS with Marvel, you have movie fans who are different from the comic fans. The, the, if only the comic book fans went to the movies for Marvel, Marvel would be a failure. You know, there's maybe two or three hundred thousand people who read comic books. Four hundred thousand people. I mean, there's not that many people, and you're not going to get a billion dollar movie if. It's only comic book fans who are going to see the comic book movies. That's one of the reasons why they, they make them so big and spectacle, right? <clears throat> it's just the way it is. But it's also... It's also a missed opportunity, and we've talked about this before. If you've got 
however many million people going to the movie to see Iron Man or Black Widow or Captain America or Superman or Wonder Woman or whoever, put a spinner rack in the lobby. Put a kiosk in the lobby. Do you watch the movie? Now read the comic book. <clears throat> I mean, that's, to me, that's, that's, that's a no-brainer. Marketing 101, if you use one to promote the other. Put a little put a little merch kiosk out there and say, "Hey, you watch this movie, buy the t-shirt. You watch this movie, buy the comic book. Here, you watch this movie. Here's the here's the DVDs of the classic series. Or, you know, what whatever that looks like, encourage people to read the comic books or the graphic novels. Because without the without that as your source material, without without that as your foundation, you don't have the movies." Or the TV shows. I mean, now we've gotten to the point where it doesn't matter, really. <clears throat> but smart money would say, hey, Marvel, next time you put out a movie, you know, when Ant-Man, when Ant-Man Quantumania comes out February 17th, <coughs> put some Ant-Man comic books, put some Avenger comic books in the in the lobbies of the theaters of the movie theaters, just it's just like free free comic book day. Do a free comic book day every time you you drop a, a film in the theaters. DC and yeah, it's not that's a that's a good point. The modern the modern the modern co comic books don't necessarily have the movie characters, and that was a problem a few years ago. You know because. <clears throat> let's watch the Iron Man movie. Now let's go get an Iron Man comic book and it's Riri Williams because Tony's dead. I'm going to go get a Thor comic book and I go in and it's Lady Thor. You know, there's got to be some synergy there as well because if I'm going to, if I'm going to go to the comic book shop to, to see what I just saw in the, in the movies, those characters, they need to be sitting on the shelf somewhere. Not necessarily the main line. Okay, fine. You've got multiple titles. So, who knows? Are you? Okay. <clears throat> so, I don't know. I just, it, it just, it just seems to me an unforced error on the part of the, of the studios to do something like that. Kelly says, in an alternate universe, a Marvel Hasbro cinematic universe from Paramount and all Spark Pictures in association with Marvel Entertainment would be a success. You know, <coughs> you would think. You would think. But it's some, somewhere in an alternate universe, there are comic books in the movie theater lobbies whenever there's a, a comic book movie that comes out. Right? All right. Anyway. Nobody's going to call in today. That's fine. Okay. That's fine. We can keep it a short show. I've got plenty of prep to do for tomorrow. So, uh, anyway. But, yeah, we uh, as far as the Watsy thing, D&D, we are trying to put together a panel. I'm hoping maybe we can get something put together by Monday. And uh, we're doing possibly, uh, possibly a money edition on Tuesday. <clears throat> and then uh, on Wednesday, I might have a guest. I'm waiting for confirmation. All right, Sci-Fi Snob in the chat, uh, in the in the uh, in the show now. Welcome, sir. 
How are you? All right. You almost begged me to come in, I guess. So, uh... <laughs> I it, uh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> How you doing? I don't have nothing to say though. Oh, no, I'm well, good. I'm good. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I don't know. You want to finish off the comic book? Uh, I mean, I think my last point there. You know, the studio doesn't care about selling comic books, right? Studios don't care. It's the comic book companies that got to come up and say, "Hey, you know." Yeah. Right? Well, if I'm if I'm doing a Marvel movie, I don't care about some crappy little comic book that you know barely makes any money, right? Well, and Marvel's got to come out and say, "Hey, let's put, let me put my product in with your movie and make yeah, it but it's, that way. I see, take... I see it, I see it as a loss leader. It's it's a marketing expense. It's a way to to use the movies to build the comic book audience. And you're, you're not yeah, going to get that. Yeah, but it's building the comic book audience, not the right, not the movie audience. Right, so the movie but, studio doesn't care. Well, the movie studio might not care, but the parent company might care. So that that's is because you've got you know it's left hand and right hand. You know you've got the left hand is the movie studios, and you got the right hand is the comic book stuff. And why not make both of them successful? Why not no, make I, both I of agree, them profitable? But, I mean, I'd have to look at the numbers, okay. but. Like, my understanding is that, and I could be wrong in this, is that, you know, the amount of money that Marvel makes is so tiny compared to uh, Disney that it might as well be zero. And they that's how they treat it. Now, yeah. I'm not sure about that. There's probably people who know more about uh, about it that could comment on it. But that's my understanding is that, you know, comic, like Marvel makes so little money that they just be like, well, we, if we double our money, we'll make, you know, you know some significant in an insignificantly small amount to, you know, double that. It's not worth our time and effort, but yeah. you know, it'd be, it'd be someone to, I'd be interested in someone who's, you know, knows a little bit more about the, uh, you know, the background. Who's uh who always does the, um, there's somebody who always does the comic book. They were spent a lot of time looking at the numbers and stuff used to do that. Uh, well, I know, uh, I know tugs used to do it for IDW. Um, Tug used to do it. Yeah. Wes at uh, Thinking Critical, he does some stuff every now and again. Perch, Perch was really big into looking at sales numbers, especially over yeah, in the think, Amazon. Side I think maybe it was Perch, yeah, <clears throat> that I'm yeah. thinking of. All right, so I'd be in. interested to see his his comments on that. Yep, yeah, I I would too. I, let me let me go through. We he might have a video on something uh, related to that. If not, we can send him an email because he he does Q and A stuff every now and again. All right, MS joining as well. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in on the comic discussion just a little bit, but I've been buying comics since the 80s. So, you know, I've been around, seen a lot of things. I remember when comics were, you know, I remember buying my first comic was at, I grew up in Florida, so it was at a Winn-Dixie, if anybody knows what a Winn-Dixie is. It's an old, yep. old shopping place, you know, and it was, I think it was either Superman 21 or 22, I can't remember which one. It's either the one where it shows Supergirl because she had been dead for a while, and you know Lex Luthor had reincarnated her or something. And then there was the. Oh, you're talking about you're talking about Matrix. Yeah, yeah, Matrix, the Matrix. Supergirl? Yeah, that's yeah. right. So that, I've been buying since a long time. You know what I'm saying? I mean, before that, I lived overseas a little bit, so it was not as easy to get American comics. That different comics overseas, they. Uh, I think they call them albums over there or records. They, they call them something a little different. But so that's where I bought my first comic. You know what I'm saying? I come yeah. to America, I see this Superman, I buy this comic, and I started buying comics, started saving my money, I'd buy the comics. And then it was in the 90s when they shifted 
when they shifted to this, well, we're going to start working with these comic stores and we're going to, and we're going to put it in the comic store and you got to go and you got to make a pool list. Okay. Now, you know, I don't remember how old I am at that point, you know, preteen or teenager at that point. How am I supposed to buy those comics? <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? I may be getting an allowance or I may be going to school and trading with kids. Here's a comic for this or that. I feel like when, when comics went into this, we're going to go to a specialty, specialty shop, they just kind of left people behind. They left a lot of kids behind at this point. And as comics progressed, and so through the 90s and early 2000s, it was even harder for me to read comics because I'm moving, I'm doing this. So I feel like comics started chasing the bottom line a long time ago. And they kind of left a lot of people behind at that point. And then when they started making the movies, I think comics were like, well, we're not making the money. Like back in the 90s, you know, Batman, and even like when Valiant came out, weren't those like million dollar or million books at a time? Mm -hmm. And now it's, you know, if, if you can get 100,000 Batmans sold, you're doing something good. So at this point, my, you know, it's like, what is the point of comics? You know, well, it's not even, even it's not money? even a hundred thousand now. I mean, some of the threshold the threshold for royalties is forty thousand. I think is is now the thing. I mean, the bar keeps getting lower and lower and lower because sales are in the tank because nobody wants to buy any of this stuff. And it's you know, I I think you're right. Taking taking the comics out of the newsstands while it was an economic decision at the time that was driven by we aren't we're not making any money on the newsstands and then now they go into these specialty things the comics industry it did shift but i i don't know that they had the i don't know that it was their idea to do local comic book shops so much as the comic book shop started to spring up and and diamond said okay we're going to do all of this because they weren't making enough money on the newsstand i i don't, I don't know that for sure it was the comic companies that kind of pushed that as a way to say we can because we we can sell directly to you and we know what to make and we know how to like yeah. plan ahead, you know, what we're going to do. We're having these pre-orders come in versus just printing a whole bunch of comics, throwing them out on the newsstand. And they're probably lose. They may have been losing money that way in the sense that, well, we're printing hundreds of thousands of books and just throwing them out there. And how are we able to track this? How are we able to know what we're selling? I think that might've so been part of the it. Impression I was under. Yeah. Well, for the longest time too, anything that didn't get sold, you rip the cover off, you send it back and it gets pulped. And, people lost money that way because if I'm if I'm if I'm selling comic books in my store whether it's a convenience store or, or or comic book shop if I don't sell this copy then I have to I we have to pulp it and I don't get all of the money that I spent on it I don't get that back I might get a piece of it back or I might get a credit for the next order that I put in but it was it was you were always working you were always operating at a loss and so that might have factored into it as well, because because now you have a little bit more returnability than you used to. I don't know. I don't know if that's across the board or not, but certain titles at least uh, get get better returnability. It's usually number ones. But <clears throat> yeah. after that, they they expect the comic shop, I think, to order appropriately so they don't have to have the returns anymore. Yeah. Let me uh, 
if I can put out an alternate theory, sure, or maybe something that goes with that. I mean, you know, 70s, 60s, 70s, comic books are for children, right? Adults yeah. don't read yeah. them. Yeah. Around the mid '80s, they start making comic books, which are you know the comics code basically gets ignored, and they start this this allows you to write a comic books for adults, and then you start to see. I mean, when you have a when you're talking about you know the death of Superman, you know a ten dollar comic book, uh, however much it was, I don't I don't remember, but like these special event type things, mm-hmm. those are not aimed at you know, the kid on the corner, the eight or 10 year old with 25 cents in his pocket. I mean, now you are uh, marketing towards adults. And I think that the big difference is, uh, you know, they've, whether they, it was a conscious change or not, they started marketing towards adults. So, so likely because they figured they could make more money, right? Adults have lots of money. Kids yeah. don't. So mm-hmm. there, that's where you, you're seeing special events, you're seeing collector's editions, you get, you know, the expensive looking graphic novels, all that kind of stuff. Kids don't buy those. They, they want to spend a quarter. Um, so that's, I think that is probably the key in the shift that of and why the, it would go from the newsstand to uh, a specialty store. Well, that and the, and the uh, you mentioned the graphic novels, because that was the beginning of that. Because Watchmen, you had uh, Dark Knight Returns, you had... Um, uh, Oh, what was the other? The Killing Joke. These these one shots that would be put out there, and and at the time, <clears throat> not only did you have this shift from floppies to graphic novels, because well, hey, we can just sell this whole thing as a book and not 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 print so many, but also you have you know you have the collectibles market, because after Crisis on Infinite Earths. They sat there and said, oh, we can do these big events and then we can turn them into, you know, big books and 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 go from there. But also now you have all of these variant covers and the collectible covers. And not only were the the stories shifting away from, you know, teenagers and kids to adults, but also here we're going to do this thing that's going to be this massive, you know, the death of Superman type of thing. That's going to turn into a collectible. And then it became an investment. Then it became something to, you know, add value in 10 or 15, 20 years. And now you have this book that's worth 30 bucks or 50 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever. And the speculative market. And that's that's pretty much what almost killed Marvel in the 90s was doing this crap. And and we're and we're still doing it. You know, I mean, how many variant covers do you get? And and the ratio is what? You order 25 to get one, you order 50 to get one, and how many different variant variant covers are available for each book? It's still out of control. Now, I would say that, I mean, I agree. Generally, you know, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, early, you know, we, that, that's when we start to see collectibles become, you know, sort of post-Star Wars, then you start to see collectibles becoming a thing, right? Beanie Babies and uh, in general in pop culture, right? Mm-hmm. We have this very collectible pop culture, you know, bobbleheads and all that, pops and all that stuff. But that started at that time, right? Before that, nobody nobody did that, you know? Maybe, yeah. You know, old ladies would maybe collect little figurines <laughs> or something, but... <laughs> Now, you know, starting in Precious the 80s moments. and early 90s, there's, you know, there's all kinds of them, right? Yeah. Like everybody's yeah. collecting everything. And I think that sort of spilled over into, you know, that'll spill over everywhere, comic books as well. Why not, right? Yeah. I, yeah. 
No, go well, ahead. Yeah, let me I'll jump in too real fast. But yeah, once everything became a collectible, because I remember, you know, I used to go ride my bike to the old gas station and buy Batman Returns, you know, cards and get a gum in the pack, right? Now, sometimes, like, I'm talking to my friend who's a big Bubba Fett fan since he was a kid. He wants to get a Bubba Fett autograph. And, we're, you know, we're Googling, you know, like a hobby box can run you a couple hundred dollars now for Star Wars. And I, I used to collect even basketball cards, you know, and I, I bought a pack one time for 50 bucks. And it's just like, this is this just getting out of hand at this point. And, and not only do you have that, uh, the the speculators market, but then let's say, like for instance, I have a Twilight Zone comic here. There was only one in 25 ever made mm. at this particular. It's Michael Straczynski's uh, Twilight Zone, and this is a one in 25 cover, right? Right. But if I send it to CGC and I pay them to grade it and I can get a 10.0 grade out of it, well, that one comic book all of a sudden, is, according to them, is worth $3,000. But so this is just another way for them to, hey, here's another way for you to speculate. Send us the book, and maybe if you get this good grade, you pay us a couple hundred bucks. If I don't get the 10.0 grade and I paid $100 for this comic to be graded by them, it's, if, it's, if it's like a 9.6 or under, well, then I lost money. <laughs> Well, I, it depends because, you know, you look at some of the stuff because they just did uh, an auction of some of Steve Ditko's personal collection. And yeah, he, he had copies of the various different Spider-Man issues that he drew, and they weren't in very good shape at all. And, you know, four, five on the on the CGC scale. And they're still worth a, a good bit of money because they belong to Steve Ditko. So having it graded less than 9.6 is not necessarily a, a, a death warrant. How old were those it. comics though? Well, we're they were, they 70s. were first, they were first runs. I mean, they were late 60 when that, when Ditko was, yeah. was, was doing the artwork on Spider-Man when it first came out, you know, 65 and 66. So there's value I think to that's that. that's expected with old comics, though, versus right. the newer comics. But I'm just saying, if you've got something that's graded less than 9.6, there are other factors that would involve in determining the value, depending on what the book is. So it's not it's not necessarily uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing if it gets graded less than that, depending on what it is. Now, if you've got something that's brand new, mint in the box, and you get less than 9.6, then something's wrong. I think I think Jason has a good point. I mean, it's all about you know the fact that Steve Ditko owned those comic books. I yeah. mean, I you know perceived value. Uh, for, yeah, I mean, like for example, at my house, you know, every garbage day, there's like fifteen, twenty people going through my garbage, <laughs> you know, trying to get stuff from me because of you know who I am. So occasionally, I'll sign a piece of garbage for them just for you know. They they put it on eBay and make a fortune. But you know, that's it's about who you are, right? Like uh, that's a lot of yeah fact that's a big factor into it too so ditko is going to make money on his uh, his thing's going to make money so yeah like i okay so i've got uh i've got 50 ish copies of x-men number one with the jim lee cover yeah i've got them sitting in a box they're practically brand new they do, they it doesn't look like they've been circulated at all i've got 50 of them but since there were so many of them made 
they have no value at all. Even if I get them graded at 9.6, 9.7, 9.8, they're not going to be that valuable because there's so many of them out there still in the wild. And I've got 50 of them. You know, so that's not going to that's not going to do me any good, even though they're in such great shape, in such good condition. And it's Jim Lee on the cover and it's an X-Men number one. It's still not going to do any good, even if it's even if it's graded high. So, you know, there's there's a lot of different factors in there that does that that comes into play when determining the value of something. I you know, and, and you're right, the speculators market has done a it's it's done some damage, I think, <coughs> in the overall marketplace. But uh, you know, it, it's hard to say what the answer is for for the comics industry not, right now because they've got so many different issues that they've got to fix, deal with. I think Jason should be giving those X Men number ones out to his loyal viewers <laughs> as a reward. Well, funny you should mention that to because his because. At, <laughs> It, it it is part of the plan to include them as a uh, either either a stretch goal as or as a specific tier when we do our first print magazine. Uh, that's, so that's, that's going to be rolling out. We're gonna we're gonna do that. We're gonna include it in one of the tiers. But I don't know when we're gonna do that. We're gonna roll this out. I'm I am dead set on getting the print magazine out this year. So we're gonna see uh, how we can make that happen. But. Uh, but yeah, that's the <coughs> excuse me. That's the plan, is to include uh, an X Men number one in a particular tier for for the magazine when that comes out. Because I, I I got fifty of them, and you know I can I can put a certain number of them out there and make them available for people. So and no, yeah, we're not gonna have a burn party. We don't have a burn party. <laughs> no, no, don't do that. <laughs> my understanding, just on that note, is that you know the the big death of Superman, they sold like I don't know ten million copies, and like yeah. none of them are worth anything. They're worth this, what you bought them for. I've, so I've got a couple of copies of that. Many. I've also got a couple of copies of Batman uh, or Superman seventy five when he busts through the the brick wall when he's officially back. Um, yeah, which is the cover that's based on the statue. Right, you've got that old that old statue of him busting through the brick wall. Well, they made it into a cover when he came back. I think it was Superman seventy five, uh, in the post the the post John Byrne run after he was dead and he came back and they're doing that. So I've got a couple of copies of that, mint condition. They're in they're bagged and boarded and they're they're in the box and I don't touch them. So you had you when had you have that many copies of a book. It, then it does like the, the X Men ones. Then it does boil down it. to the. Wait, what? What did you say? I'm I'm sorry, MS. Hang on. The, yes, okay. The only burn party we have is when you cook steak. Get, get, <laughs> when he boils water. <laughs> when you have so many copies of X Men One, then it does matter if you if you have the one ten point and you say, well, there's only like two of these that have ever been graded at ten point then you're maybe able to drive the price up a little bit in that sense. But then I'm also curious why in today's market, it's so hard to find books that are 10.0 when they're coming right off the press, right to my, right to my, you know, living room door mm -hmm. through the mail. And I'm getting like a 9.0 book. What's going, you know, what's going on there is, or the CGC, are they working with the comic company? Do they get some of the better issues sent to them first and they grade them out and they just start selling them right away? You know, 
Well, I don't know that it's that it's that conspiratorial. I think one of the things you're running into, because I've seen so many different people posting about this, comic book shops especially, uh, and, and we saw this a lot when Lunar and, uh, what was the other one, LCS, started doing distribution for DC because there was this big to-do at, the point, at that point, online discussion, about how badly Diamond was doing to keep the books in good shape on delivery. I mean, they were posting damaged boxes and, and stuff that had been ripped and torn and creased and books that had been folded and, and you know, the corners are, are shredded. And so you probably have a little bit of that as well because once they get to the comic book shop and you buy them, or if you if you get them direct ship or, or however much, the the travel between there and here in the mail or in the UPS or the FedEx or whatever, there's a risk there of whatever whatever damage happening. So I I would be very surprised to see anybody get a 10.0 book through the mail. And if they're packaged properly and safely in the in the shipment from Diamond or Lunar or wherever to the comic book shop, you've got a better shot of getting a, a mint condition. But they've still got all of the handling and the processing and putting them out on the shelves or whatnot. So there's there's always a risk uh, of something happening to it. But I I don't know if there's any particular reason why you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to get a 10.0. If uh, if it traveled properly, I don't know. I mean, I was talking to my comic shop guy last year, and he was always having trouble when the books were being delivered right to his right to the shop. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing he would do: open the box, start going through them. This isn't sellable. This isn't sellable. You know, I can't put this in some guy's drop box. They're not going to want this cover. I don't know. You know, to me, it just seems like sometimes it is. I don't want to say conspiratorial, but it would also make sense in a business way to say if CGC came to Marvel and said, look, we know you're going to produce a bunch of number ones of uh, Iron Man with Raimi there. Send us your best copies first. We'll grade them. We can sell them directly to people. You autograph a couple. This is the autograph, the signature series. We grade these and we sell them out. And then you sell, you put out the rest to the shop. I see. Uh, I see two guys standing right, right out of the machine with white gloves. Right. As soon as it comes out, they pick it up by the corners and they have this plastic thing, right? And they put it in there and they seal it up and they. I would whatever, see that inject it with uh, nitrogen gas or whatever they do. Yeah, the I, air I could see that maybe in the '90s, uh, but I, I, just just gut gut reaction here. I don't think that even CGC cares that much about this kind of stuff um, because the the Marvel especially has been bad about it, but DC's done it too. The, the speculator market has been flooded with all these different covers and variants and chrome and, and lenticulars and, and all that kind of thing. So it's, to me, I, it's make a fast buck. I don't see CGC you know, putting that much effort into into doing something like that to to corner the market or manipulate the market because then then you start getting into 
<coughs> rules and regulations and federal law and fraud and all that other stuff, and I don't think they want that headache. Maybe. I don't think I, they, that... I don't think they care that much. I think Diamond doesn't <laughs> care that much because that you know otherwise they would package their shipments better. Because they did that whole thing, you know, we're coming back and everything's going to be great and everything's going to be mm-hmm. fine and perfect. And then we started getting a flood of all of these photo- these photographs of, of pa- bad packaging after they made that commitment. And they say, hey, Diamond, you've got to do better. This is not doing better. So I, I, don't, I don't know that anybody in the industry really cares about the industry that much. I think the fans care more about it than the people making the stuff. Because it's uh, yeah. it's it's a means to an end. It, it, without the comic books, you know, Jim Lee even said, you know, the because ever the uh, they were speculating about DC Comics going away, and Jim Lee was like, "Well, no, D, the the comic books are the reason we're doing everything else." Okay, well then you need to make your staff understand that that your that your comic books are important. You need to you need to make everybody up the food chain understand that the comic books are an important foundational piece, and nobody does. I mean. Actions speak louder than words. When you know, yeah. you tell me that your comic books are important, <clears throat> then you go, you know, you you hire the the cheapest artist from you know uh, some third world country somewhere you can find. You fire the you know the guys have been working forever and are really great, and people you know people buy specific books just because the cover's done by you know certain people. Um, I mean, and then you know you can just look at some of the art and some of the you know there's been some examples of the last couple of years where the art's really horrible. I mean, you get what you pay for, right? You know, you, yeah. you pay a guy peanuts, he's going to draw peanuts. Well, right? not only that, but you're you're getting a you're getting a cover art by, you know, J. Scott Campbell, Adam Hughes, Peach Momoko, somebody somebody who's got a lot of talent and then yeah, the cool. interiors are crap. You know, it it feels like a bait and switch. Yeah, we're going to do this really great cover and it and it pulls you in, but you yeah. open up the book and you know, Captain Marvel's face is a potato, so you know you can't you can't sustain that. You can't keep going like that. And so their their actions, you know, show that they don't have any. They don't feel there's any value, or they don't care. Yeah. About, about their books. Yep, that's exactly what it is. You know, it's a means to an end, and that raises the question: Well, if they don't care about their books, do it? Do I guess they don't care about their product? They don't. They don't care about profit. They don't care about making money because they're putting out crap. They don't care if they sell it or not. So if they don't well, care, if, if they don't care if they sell it or not, if they don't care about profit, where is their money coming from? And then you, it raises the specter of the whole ESG funding and and that kind of thing. So we're not doing this for the customer. We're doing this for the social media credit. Well, I have a couple questions, though. So, well, first of all, you know, going back to where's the profit coming from? It's coming from always relaunching a number one with 30 different variant covers. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't know if you've seen that Berserker. That's Keanu Reeves comic. which yes. I'm sure is going to end up being a movie at some point. It is currently in but, development right now. As okay. A matter of fact. And I think if my comic shop, which, by the way, you know, my comic shop's in another state. Because there ain't no comic shops around me. So when so I was talking to a guy in another state who was shipping me comics every now and then. If he ordered so many, he there was like a one, I can't remember, it was a one in one thousand, maybe yeah. autographed by Keanu Reeves. So he gets enough people to make the purchases, he gets that one in one thousand, and then he can turn around and most likely sell it out of his store to cover his expenses. 
But so that's where some of the profits coming from. Just all these different, you know, there's this, you know, like I know Marvel's just bought Planet of the Apes. So now they got all their their big guns coming out to do these Planet of the Apes covers starting in February, which I'm a big POTA fan, but I don't know if I'm going to, I'm sold on that. But when you keep saying their comics are means to an end, what's the end? Well, it's, it's. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) How do, how do we, how do we do this? Um, It's propaganda. It's selling an agenda. It's it's bringing people in who don't don't. I mean, you look at you look at the 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 Witcher adaptation, for example. You know, you've got people in the writers' room who don't care about the 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 video game or the books. They don't like the video game or the books, and the only reason they're making the show is so they can push a particular uh, viewpoint. And the comic books are the same way. We don't care if we sell them. What we need is a medium. We need a forum to put out certain particular points of view, certain particular ideologies for the for the bragging rights, I guess, maybe the ideological score the you know, the social media credit or whatever. I mean, again, this goes back to the whole ESG BlackRock thing where they're not worried about profit. They're worried about appeasing the 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 people what in charge in in changing your behavior but that's i mean this is not that's not going to work i mean the people who like the witcher who are fans of it are going to watch the show and once they see that it's crap or they or or the quality goes down you know they're not going to start they're not going to watch it anymore and then the people who the the you know the woke crowd the ones who want to use this they don't watch it anyway they just want to talk about it on social media or say something about it. Yeah. So you've got nobody. You've, you're making a product, and you know you're going to eventually make it so bad that the people who actually are interested in the product aren't going to watch it, and the people who aren't interested but you know support the politics that you're pushing in it, they're not going to watch it anyway because they don't like it. And your you know your product is just going to die. And, yeah. and what have you achieved? You but know, it's I, the you really think. But it's the, the social who media chat. Well, the people who agree with you politically, they're not changing their mind. You're not changing their mind. They're already, you know, that way. And yeah. the other people are just going to go, well, this is crap. I don't want to watch this. They're not going to agree either. It's, right. it's I, I don't, I mean, I'm, but I'm not that's disagreeing how, with you, but, but I don't see how, the, I don't see the, the, the end game. Like it's right. But that's how, how we got Batwoman for three seasons. Nobody was watching it. You know, 300,000 people were watching it, but everybody was talking about it on social media pro or con. It doesn't matter. The social media chatter is what is what matters, and that goes back so, to what your so what your social you're suggesting media suggesting that uh, the companies profile. are saying, "Hey, you know, like so if I'm making Batman, or Batwoman, I mean, so you you I can go out and say, "Hey, look how much people are talking about it on Twitter. Therefore, you should you know put your show on my network yep. on your network." That's exactly and then what the they network did. goes. Okay, because the network sure, I'll executives, buy it. the network executives actually came out and acknowledged that yeah. with okay, regard to it, Batwoman. But this is only going to last a certain amount of time. Like if I'm a network executive and this guy comes say, look at all the people talking about my show. And I go, all right, I'll put it on. And then nobody watches it. I'm right. going to go, well, well, these guys are full of crap. Well, and, and that's the why you see they come to me. That's I'm why you see the say, CW getting no, it's, sold. It's baloney. That's why yeah, the CW next, got sold to Nextar and changing yeah. all of the programming. Eventually it comes you know, to bite them in the back. But at the yeah, same time, once, you know, a lot of this stuff, me. a lot of the stuff has continued well past the point where we thought it would. 
which means that there's something else factoring into this that we haven't seen yet. And, and, and some people assume that it's ESG. It could be something else. It could be something completely outside of our awareness of what's it, driving all of this stuff. It might just be inertia, you know, like it big could ships be. take a long time to, to turn. So could be, um, I, you yeah. know, I just, I just don't see where this, I think, you know, this is, I mean, I'm surprised as well that it's lasted as long as it did, but it's not going to last. Like it's not, you know, you can't, you can't make something out of nothing. You, you yeah. need to, you're a company, you got to make money unless we go, you know, full USSR communist, you know, you <laughs> got to make money in America. That's the bottom line. Otherwise you can't put out your product. Well, and I think and, we're seeing you know, the pendulum gonna... swing back a little bit with that because you see what's going on with, with Warner Brothers Discovery, David Zaslav getting, getting in there and saying, you know what? We're a business, and we should be making money with our product that we make. So, you know, he's he's making moves. And, of course, Hollywood hates him for it, and the media hates him for it, which means he's got to be doing something right because the media is our enemy. Yeah. I have a couple more questions then. So, yes. first of all, are comics subsidized in any way, like the way TV or, you know, like the CW may have been or sometimes – Big studios are able to write off their movies and say, hey, this was a failure, so we write this off. And then secondly, well, this might stray a little bit off from the, the sci-fi kind of angle, but I was just reading this morning an article about you know economics and stuff, and just that it does seem like today's youth and people coming into the, the workforce don't really understand economics, you know, going to sci-fi <laughs> snobs point. So it's like, yeah. obviously bottom line is what matters, but it's to them, it's more like, no, the ideology trumps the bottom line. Although all of us old cronies know. Yeah. But eventually if your bottom line is, you know, not profitable, your ideology is going to fall away too. Yeah, and I think part of that is the well. L l to answer your first question, Ethan Van Skyver has talked about this a number of times, and he's fully convinced. And I think he's got people telling him something uh, that the ESG money, the diversity inclusion money, uh, is a factor in DC and Marvel what they're doing. Um, I, there's I haven't seen anything specific that says, yes, this is exactly what's going on. But I'm inclined to believe that because of how these stories have played out and what kind of stories they're, they're telling in those books. Um, so I think, you know, I think that, that the, the diversity crowd is having way too much of an influence on everything. And I think that's one of the reasons why Bob Chapek got canned over at Disney is because he started to cut, uh, he started to cut a bunch of jobs and ended up, you know, getting a little bit too close to the diversity department, and they and you know, that plus the FTX stuff, they panicked because they're so exposed financially that way, they had to do something about it, and I think that's one of the reasons why they're they're pushing so hard not to get Nelson Peltz on their on their board because somebody comes in from the outside on the board. They're going to want to look at the books. Yeah. And I imagine that the books have been cooked quite a bit to hide the to hide the FTX stuff. That that's a that's a theory on my part. I don't I don't have any anything to point at to say this is what's going on. But there's there's quite a bit of that. And to the second thing, <laughs> to the second point, I think that that 
there is a whole group of people, a whole generation or two, uh, that has uh, become so connected to devices and so wired in on, I want everything now, I can just Google it, I can just you know go to YouTube, I can do the TikTok or the whatever, and it's this, it's this sense of instant gratification and narcissism that's fed by social media. And you're right, there's, there's a lot of people out there who don't understand what it is to actually work and do a job and get paid for the job. And, you know, the, nobody teaches economics anymore. You know, nobody teaches supply and demand. It's just, I demand it, you supply it. Well, that's not how it works. You know, there's, there's a certain amount. And people are finding out now with the supply chain problems, when stuff is not on the shelves and the shelves are empty, there's no supply. You can demand however much you want, but it, it's not there. And it's going to cost more to get it there because it's going to cost more in transportation costs and fuel costs and, and storage and warehouses and and labor because you can't get it off the boats and you can't get it on the trucks because there's not enough people driving the trucks and there's not enough diesel fuel for all the trucks. I mean, there's all sorts of different things going on that, you know, it's just this domino effect of everything falling apart at once and then there's nothing on the shelf. You don't have any toilet paper. So. Yeah. And California, you know, has those strict regulations on the semi-trucks that enter their states. Well, I think I read that at some point they might even be banning certain trucks that can to enter their states. So they're even able to hold up that supply by saying, hey, your truck doesn't meet our state regulations to get over to the coast, pick up your stuff, and move it to your warehouse <laughs> where you need to put it to supply it to people. Yeah, Canada's uh, not Canada. California's a mess. Canada is is a mess, but California's California's been gone for a long while. So, yeah, I don't know if uh, there was a TikTok. I think it was going around right out, like right after Musk bought Twitter, but before he started firing everybody, and it was just one of the workers like filming their day and they're like oh my first day at work at twitter and they walk in and you don't see them doing any work their first thing is like "Ooh, i get my nice little you know mocha something whatever mother latte something and then they go oh, over here here's other pods where we get to sleep in and uh oh gotta go and get my meeting is that like, an wow. snl skit <laughs> no no it was apparently it was real it was not snl yeah. and it was just you know i'm sure you can find it, it was pretty pretty big couple months ago and i just couldn't believe like i'm like this person do any work like they just go to meetings and drink tea and you know sleep like i mean geez great job yeah right how do i sign me up for that so i don't know i well okay so what about makes a point these companies have been pushing their agenda before esg was a thing i to a point yes and, you know, you see, you know, Ghostbusters 2016 and, and, and that kind of thing. And it started probably around 2009, 2010, 2011, that kind of that 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 time period. But post Trump, it became a huge thing. And the World Economic Forum stuff, you know, Event 21 and, and all of these different things where now you've got this this great reset in order. I think they I think they started ramping up uh 2015 2016 because one 
Donald Trump was a was an outlier. Nobody knew what he was going to do. Nobody could control him because he wasn't bought, right? He was an outsider. And you go back to the, you go back to the uh, uh, event twenty one, which was I think in twenty seventeen. So they've been planning a lot of this stuff for a while, and it's just you know they're just ramping up, and it's gotten to be out there right in the open. And yeah, you know, movies dating back to the sixties or whatnot. It's, this, it's not just Hollywood. This stuff goes back a hundred plus years to the administration of of Woodrow Wilson. That's how far back some of this stuff goes. It's it's cultural Marxism, communism, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> and it goes back to Woodrow Wilson's era, and uh, the the idea of the of the the League of Nations, what used to you know, with the precursor to the United Nations. You know, the League of Nations was this thing for the whole globalism push. That started with Wilson. And, you know, that's the education stuff. He had advisors. You go and look at Cloward Priven in the 60s. But Wilson had advisors telling him back in, in the turn of the century, you've got to get them in, in when they're young. You've got to get them in the education stuff. You've got to get them in the schools and train them to be more more dependent, more reliant, more trusting of the government as the answer to everything. This stuff's been going on for a long while. And then they get, you know, past the past the red scare with Joseph McCarthy and all that other stuff. Now we get into Hollywood and we infiltrate Hollywood, we infiltrate our schools, we infiltrate our churches and get people used to this idea that Marxism's not that bad. Communism's not that bad. And here we are. Well, you know, the thing is, is though, all media is, is, is propaganda, right? Like, I mean, why, you know, the reason why people have written books or, or any of those things throughout history is always to change someone's, is, sorry, not always, but often to change someone's opinion. I mean, how do we get from, you know, what we believed 100, 250, 100, 200 years ago to a more, you know, what you might call progressive, and I just say progressive in a general sense, yeah. not a, not the political sense, um, you know, mindset. Why, you know, why have we changed our attitudes towards race, uh, you know, homosexuality, gender, any of those things? It's always been, you know, literature at the front forefront of, you know, showing, trying to demonstrate, usually subtly, not you know, over the head like they like nowadays, but suddenly changing our, uh, you know, opinions over time. Right. And and things like television, movies, books have always been at the forefront of it. So I'm you know, I, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying, but, you know, that's always been what writing has done. Uh, yeah. So well, it's not really unusual. It's just, you know, perhaps maybe it's it's gone too far or or it's only in one direction. Um you know, you could argue that, but, you know, media has always been used to try to change people's minds and their attitudes. Yeah. And science fiction especially has been, especially has been part of that fiction. because, you know, we want to examine our, our, our worth as humanity. We want to examine who we are as a species. It's, it's really good to do that through science fiction because it, it filters the, the critique. It filters the commentary and makes it a little bit more acceptable to the general public, and, you know, the people who are reading it. And, you know, it's not quite so much a message. It 
again, depends on how you present it because there's a lot of science fiction out there now that's all message fiction instead of, you know, let me tell a good yarn and, oh, by the way, let's get you to think about something here in the subtext. And those are the, and you know, a little, something a little personal. I mean, that's what brought me into science fiction was the examination of, you know, an idea or, or a way that we are now and then extrapolating into the future to see how it would, how, you know, one writer's thought of what it may end up being like, right? And then, you know, without a without a comment on that, whether that is that, whatever that changes is good or bad, and then we can look at that, you know, his that writer's suggested change or, or his speculation and decide is that something that we want to do or not? Is that good or bad on our own and not yeah. have him tell us that? Those are my favorite uh, stories that look forward and, uh, you know, and, and come up with that kind of speculation as to what, what if we were like this or what if this happened? What yep. if this technology, how would it affect us as humans? Well, and I think the other thing, too, is we need more stories that are hopeful, maybe heroic, you know, where the heroes can be heroes and the good guys are good guys and the bad guys are clearly bad guys and we can boo hiss them, even though we can... You know, we can appreciate the villain. You know, Darth Vader's a great villain, but um, he's still a villain. He's still the bad guy, and the bad guy has to lose at the end of the day, and we need more stories like that. Richard Palinelli and uh, Declan Finn and that group, they're doing what's called the subversive, uh, the superversive type stories where it's that kind of thing, where it's, you know, it's like the pulp stuff and, you know, the Doc Savage and the phantom and the shadow and that kind of thing where you have the good guy is the good guy. And, and yeah, maybe he gets the girl, but the good guy wins and there's some hope at the end of the, at the end of the story. No, I mean, you know, literature shouldn't just be used to show us, you know, where our prejudices are and how we're wrong. I mean, it should right. inspire us as well as, uh, absolutely you know, as challenge our assumptions. Yeah. Yep. I agree. All right, well, we are past our hour, and i got to do prep for tomorrow's program, so let's wrap this up. SciFest, now, are you, are you making videos yet still uh, on, your, on your channel yet? Not, not yet, but I've been getting a lot of pressure, so and I was I, I got to, yeah, it, soon, soon. I okay. just got to pull my lazy butt up and <laughs> get to it. MS, what about you? Do you have a channel? Do you create anything on the the stuff? I'm way way too busy for that. I do a lot of mentoring with adults and children. I'm I'm a minister, so I'm working, you know, I work with people day and night, all kinds of stuff, so I don't have time for that. But MS wants to talk about Foundation, the TV series, though, right? I could give you five minutes if you want. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, because I haven't seen it. I, I, I want to, well, I mean, I've read the original trilogy. I haven't read any of the prequels by uh, Gregory Benford or Brin or Bear, nor the, the next trilogy that came after it. But, you know. You know, you know Asimov has a, has a prequel trilogy as well, but written by him. Yeah, those are... Um, Books four, five, and six, right? Um, I believe. I don't know if they couldn't. They name them four, five, and six. Okay. I, 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 I haven't really read. I, I'm sure I haven't read those ones yet. So, with that said, I have read the original books. I've read Foundation more than once itself. So, and I'm probably gonna say something. Right, I'll say something right now. It might be controversial, but it's not as if you know Asimov wasn't this great uh, writer. 
<laughs> in the sense of his plots and what you know what's going. He's more he's more about the ideas, yeah, and, and behind the plot, and the plot's just there to kind of move the idea forward. Yeah, as, so Asimov could be friend, a little dry. <laughs> well, very dry. I've yeah. I've even read some of his you know blasphemy. I've read some of his nonfiction <laughs> books. You know, he's written actually um, commentaries for the Bibles. He's written history books. So he's a very knowledgeable, smart person. It's just that, you know, he, his ideas in his fiction books are sometimes very simple. I would almost say sometimes it's maybe akin to reading a script sometimes because mm-hmm. it's just, you know, I'm just getting a lot of the, the plot is driven by the dialogue, you know, versus right. the descriptions and, and the narration and, and such. So when when they made a foundation series, I even told my friends, you know, this is going to be interesting because. There's a lot of room, in my opinion, for improvement in how you can present this material, but at the same time, presenting the material in a way where you're true to the, the concepts and ideas in the book. So, and because it's an older book, there is maybe the fan base won't be as vocal online about it <laughs> versus if it was something new. So I started watching the show, you know, I was like, what do I expect? So I'll say episode one was, I thought, really good and actually very faithful to the story and the core story. Yeah. After that, they begin to add elements. So they they race and gender swap one of the characters that's in the book and then make them a character that's um, that lasts throughout the season, which when the book, they only take up one short story. Which I didn't, I didn't see that as a problem or anything. I'm just, I'm just telling people just what they did. Then they made the emperor of the empire, so they call him empire in the story, and right. they kind of make him. There's a lot of religious overtones to the empire and to the science as well, which is really interesting. So, like for instance, the empire is that he's a clone, and it's his. There's what they call um, dusk, day, and dawn. So there's the young. The day he rules and the dawn is kind of like going into the sunset and they're always together. So they're almost like a trinity, which was really interesting. And there's a lot of interesting ideas around the emperor as far as like, is this clone? Does he have a soul? Is, you know, is he real? Is one of the things Harry. So this is different than the book. So Harry brings up that one of the reasons why the galactic empire is failing is because the emperor is is a clone and there's no new ideas coming from him. It's just the same thoughts and the same ideas from the original em- Emperor Cleon for you know thousands of years. So not so it's stagnating the empire. That's not in the books. And then uh the the Gail Dornick, which is the character they changed and they make her a little bit more uh, of a real character throughout the season where she was only like a small thing in the book is interesting. Because I don't want to give away, it kind of ties into some other parts of the book. So they so they took something that was in the book and they kind of show you how this was formed. Whereas in the when you read the book, you just all of a sudden just get sprung on you this this kind of this information. Okay. I don't wanna I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Yeah. Then there's the actual foundation, which I thought was interesting because the foundation of all which was probably the one thing from the book they kept was completely different than the book. So the new material I actually thought was really good. <laughs> and I thought the material about the foundation 
was actually the weak point of the story. And mainly because if you're a fan of the books and the ideas, what, what ends up happening is you end up ha having this, well, there's a certain character that just called the warden that just ends up being like this superhero character. Versus in the book, the idea of the foundation is that they're able to shorten this dark age that's coming upon the empire by using their minds and by using their intellect and by using science. So that part is a, that part is probably your more typical, you know, kind of a TV plot. Right. But also at the same time, and I understand why they would do it because, you know, who's going to watch a show about scientific ideas. So you got to have some action <laughs> and, and stuff in there. So I understand why they do it, but it's not, I didn't think that part was actually done very well. And it, it, it kind of, for me, it brings the show down, but the parts with the emperor, I thought were really amazing and really good. The show value, the production on the show is like top notch. I, I mean, especially when you watch the first episode, I watched that episode. And I'm like, man, this is like movie quality, if not even better than what I've seen in some movies before. Yeah. And it's a really slow. The last two episodes are kind of pick up, but I kind of have this problem with a lot of shows that are online. I feel like shows that stick to a 40, 50 minute timeline are always better than shows that just say, well, we'll go an hour. We'll go an hour and five. We'll go 50 minutes here because it makes the writer condense their ideas a little bit and, and write it in a way that's a little bit more compelling and moves the narrative in a better way. So it's not, you don't have these slow parts or things like that. I would say overall it's worth watching and my wife didn't like it. She likes a lot of sci-fi, but I thought it was interesting and at least worth watching you know, if it was like Rotten Tomatoes, you know, I guess 60% is like the cutoff. I guess I would put it right around that area saying, I think it's worth watching, but it has a lot of flaws. Yeah. But maybe the last two episodes are kind of, if they carry that momentum into season two, then maybe that season will be better. Are, are we getting a season two? I haven't seen it. Are we getting a season they two? They have plans foundation? for up to eight seasons and season two is supposed to come out. Okay. Yeah. So have to look the, at that. the wiki says that they started filming in April of last year, 2022. They started okay. filming. All right. So we are so. getting a second season. All right. Well, it will be interesting. I haven't, I, it, that's, that's on my, you can take away my geek cred card because I haven't read them yet <laughs> list, but it's on, I've got, I've got a few of the books in the, in the library here. I've got to catch up and do some stuff. I, the visuals, just looking at the promos and the different things that we saw, the visuals look interesting. So eventually, at some point, I'm sure I'm going to watch it. I just haven't got time to do it yet. But anyway, so so it's it's decent. It's worth watching, but it could be better. That's that's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, I think so. And I think when you get to the last two episodes, they're definitely they're definitely a lot better as far as the pacing and how the narrative goes. But the storyline from episode one to the end, revolving around the emperor, yeah, I thought was really good and really interesting. And I, for me, that's why I say it's worth watching because there's a lot of good ideas and thoughts revolving around that. Yeah. Way more than the foundation. They should have called it Emperor. It would have been, <laughs> it would have been a great show. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be recognizable as Asimov's book then if they'd done that. No. So. 
No, but... <laughs> All right, MS. Well, thank you very much for that review. And thanks, Snob, for being in here. Yeah, thanks. And thank uh, you. And thanks to all of you for uh, joining us today. Uh, hopefully uh, this was worth the time, and, and we'll continue to get people calling in, and, uh, and we'll expand, and we'll keep going. Don't forget, tomorrow we've got uh, the headlines for the week uh, on Good Morning Multiverse tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central. So join us for that, and that's going to do it for us today, folks. Thanks very much for being here. Remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 